Welcome to Life to the Full, a message to Christians. This is a podcast about the abundant life that God promises in Scripture. We want to inspire those who are frustrated with themselves and their communities to live a transformed life that will impact the world. Our primary purpose is to be a platform that will impact the world through conversation. We want to invite others to connect and unite in curiosity, vulnerability, and responsibility. A transformed life is about growth, learning, and evolving. A transformed life leads to transformed communities, and transformed communities impact the world. One conversation at a time. Uh, welcome back to A Life to the Full, a message to Christians. I am one of two co-hosts, uh, Jimmy James Daniels Zito. Uh, as you can see, I am here by myself today. So we're trying out something new. Uh, we thought since we got past our point of getting your Bible back and now we're ready to here we go, we're going about to dive into scripture. We're about to take a journey into scripture. That's what we want you guys to be doing um, with yourselves on your own, we figured we would do a few with you. So uh, this is loosely based on a class that I did uh, in 2020. Um, I was kind of like in beta testing. So this is a modification on that. So we're going to be taking a journey into scripture together on the podcast. And we figured we would have a dual format. We would have a video format uh, and the podcast. So we're gonna, there's going to be a visual presentation to this. I have some slides uh, as well as my lovely face uh, here with you guys to do this. So um, yeah, we're going to be taking a journey into scripture. And we've been talking about exploring the Bible like this strange foreign land. Uh, imagine you're getting dropped off at a new planet uh, it's all for you to explore. You're getting to explore this, or maybe not, not another planet, another country, another place, someplace you've never been before. And you're going to get a chance to explore and experience this place um, all on your own and like for your first time. And you're really not alone because obviously there's people with you, there's people all around you. Uh, I'm here with you, could be in your headphones right now talking to you uh, or on the YouTube. Um, but you're getting to go in instead of seeing the Bible as a proof text. Okay. I want to know what I'm supposed to do, or I want to know how to tell people what to do. Um, let's take a step back and let's try and view the Bible as if we're going to it into it, to explore it, to really experience it. And, uh, I picked this picture for the front, the first slide, uh, in case you're listening, uh, it's a nice mountain scene with a glacial lake kind of in the, the center of it and there's a tent kind of up on the ridge and the tent is illuminated from inside uh they're obviously um you know either they haven't started yet or you know they're they're bunking down for the night they're going to get ready to uh, make plans for the next day and i just love this image i love to explore personally and, and real life i like to get out there into the mountains and into the woods and to the deserts, to the canyons, wherever I can get to, and just walk and explore and really just get to discover, discover things. Uh, I love to discover things. And when I learned to read my Bible in this way, it really, it changed my life. It actually changed the entire trajectory of my life um, where, you know, now today I'm actually, you know, a seminary student going into seminary 
and looking to even further my education um, and you know to become a scholar. So let's just dive right in. So we're going to be doing this together. We're going to be going into scripture as if we're going on a journey together. All right. So remembering uh, the idea that we just left our guide, right? We went to, I use the, the analogy of going to a national park or going to um, some type of one of the few wild places left on this planet. And usually there's a nature center or there's a ranger station and we stopped in and the guide who was there, you know, kind of gave us some advice of, of how we get through this stuff. And so we're just coming off of our five no statements. We called it getting your Bible back. It's based on an essay uh, that was written uh, by a biblical scholar that kind of gives you some advice of some things that he's learned after a lifetime of journeying in the scriptures of what to look out for and to what to make sure you, you're aware of. Uh, the five no statements, just to recap, it's not about me. It's not always as deep as we think. Even Paul isn't always sure. Don't be so uptight. And, it and it's probably not as universal as we think. So we're leaving our guide behind. We've packed our bag, uh, gotten our Jeep, whatever it is, and we're going to hit a trail. We're gonna go in and we're gonna do some exploring and some discovery. We are gonna be going on a journey together. Uh, we're going to be doing this in the hopes that this is something that you can now go and continue and do on your own um, and to take other people with you, uh, maybe in a setting where you're all getting together, uh, maybe, you know, you're drinking some wine, eating some cheese, eating some fruit, um, or you're getting a nice barbecue together, you're sitting around. I love combining, you know, some of my favorite things here, food, wine, and, well, scotch, really, food, scotch and the Bible. Combine it all together, get everyone in a room, and you're going to learn how to take people with you on this journey. So to close out our year one, this is, if you don't know, uh, this is, you know, ending up our, ending out our first year of the podcast. So if you don't know, we will be closing out our first year in the podcast by taking three short trips into scripture. So we're gonna be taking three short trips into scripture. Now, the cool thing about this photo, again, in case you guys uh, can't see it, I'll describe it for you, is this is from Yosemite. You can see Half Dome in the foreground and below it, you can kind of see all of the buildings of the park. So there are lights down there, there are campfires, there's a campground down there, there's different buildings. And uh, we actually, I don't think we were on this ridge, um, but it looks actually kind of familiar. I think I might've been sitting on top of that rock that's next to the tent um, is they have, you know, you can go here at night and they have, you know, you observing, you can look at the stars. There's a ranger led program where you can kind of just drive your own car and go. Um, it was one of the first, the only times ever that I got to see the full Milky Way kind of just spread out before me. Um, but I love this picture because it's the idea of we're leaving the camp behind, right? We're going to go, we're going to take a journey uh, into the Bible. And in doing that, we're going to be leaving some things behind. We're going to be leaving behind maybe our preconceived notions, right? We want to try and experience the Bible and all of its strangeness, strangeness and all of its weirdness as if we're looking at it for the very first time. So we're going to get in there. We're going to take a journey into scripture and we're going to do it by going on three short-ish <laughs> introductory 
journeys. Uh, when I when I introduce people to hiking or backpacking, I usually have in my pocket like a handful of trails or places to go um, that it gives a nice good payoff. Like there's something beautiful at the end or there's really great scenery, but it's not too difficult. It's not too challenging where, you know, they never want to do this again with me. Now I've made that mistake where I've taken some people on hikes and trails and back backpacking through the woods and the wilderness where they're like, never again <laughs> will I ever go on a trail with you. Uh, but we don't want to do that with the Bible. Um, so we're going to be taking three short-ish trips into scripture. Uh, and we're going to be looking at narrative, poetry, and what's called prose discourse. And this is the meat and potatoes of the Bible, of getting into the Bible. Most of the Bible is what you would call narrative, which is a fancy way of saying story. They're stories. They're narratives. About almost half of it, about 43%, uh, at least according to um, the Bible Project, where I got these stats from. It comes from their reading scripture series, which I... Highly recommend everyone go after this video or podcast, of course, and you listen to all of them. You really just take your time going through it. So we're going to be going through narrative, poetry. Poetry makes up about 33% of the Bible and prose discourse, which makes up about 24%. Prose discourse is more of like, do this, don't do that. There's more of a logical argument flow to it. And so for narrative, we're going to be looking at the book of Jonah. Uh, for poetry, we're going to be looking at some Psalms. And for prose discourse, we are going to be looking at um, a letter of Paul. So I have here, I'm, I'm hoping to do Philemon or Philemonian, um, but we might be looking at Ephesians because I'm actually taking a class on Ephesians right now. So I figured, hey, that'd be kind of cool to use some of that material that I've learned from class on this podcast, but I haven't fully made up my mind yet, but we're definitely going to be doing a letter of Paul. I did take class on the letter of Phil, uh, Philemon. It really opened up the letters of Paul for me. So I'd be using some of that material as well. But, you know, I'm kind of torn because Ephesians is kind of fresh in my mind. Uh, I've been taking this class uh, and it's kind of just just great, amazing. Uh, Ephesians is obviously a little bit, little bit longer. So Philemon would be like the perfect introductory uh, letter of Paul to get into that. But we'll see how we do. All right. So our first short trip uh, is going to be into the book of Jonah, and we're going to be learning how to read narrative. Uh, very excited about this. Um, just very excited. The book of Jonah is a book that I feel is just amazing, and we're going to get a lot out of it. So why are we going to start with the book of Jonah? Uh, Jonah has been used by many people as a crash course on how to read the entire Hebrew Bible, or what we would call uh, the Old Testament. It's mostly narrative and poetry. Uh, so there are some poems in Jonah, which uh, we may or may not be, you know, breaking down. And learning to read the book of Jonah will open up a lot of the Bible. It's really going to open up a lot of the Bible for us. Um, and if you learn to read the book of Jonah well, um, in terms of, you know, as a, as a narrative, if you learn to read biblical narratives well, it really opens up the rest of the scriptures for you. Um, and it really can be a life-changing experience just to learn how to get in there and do that. So we're going to do that together. Uh, some of the pros of the book of Jonah is that it's only four chapters long. 
<laughs> which is great, right? Because some of the other biblical narratives stretch for pages and pages and chapters and chapters. Just even think about the story of the founding of God's people, God's family, right? Those narratives go on for, for many, many chapters. This is only four chapters long. It barely takes up four pages in most Bibles. It's great. Um, whoever wrote the book of Jonah had basically the entire Hebrew Bible just downloaded in their brain. Um, it's amazing. Um, when I first was learning how to read the Bible, I was always told that the book of Jonah uh, was very, very old. It was probably written around the same time that these events happened. Uh, I since learned that there's a lot of textual clues inside the book of Jonah that actually point to a much later authoring uh, because so much of the Hebrew Bible is referenced indirectly and directly in uh, the book of Jonah. Uh, and it's, you know, a lot of people have picked up on this. This isn't, this isn't my idea. This comes mostly from a class that I took on the Bible Project uh, called the Bible Project Classroom, where they kind of go through the book of Jonah. Um, it really is a great gateway for learning how to rethink the Bible. If you can kind of wrap your head around how to get into the book of Jonah, it really will open up huge areas of scripture for you. And uh, there's so much that you can get out of this. It's a lot of fun too, because uh, this short little book is often uh, very, very misunderstood uh, to comical results. Uh, a lot of people can, you know, read the book of Jonah or they preach the book of Jonah as if it's just merely a moral tale about not running away from God. Uh, there's so much more going on in this book, uh, so much that I really feel is appropriate for the state of the church today and uh, where we find ourselves. Um, and even with multiple readings, the full invocations of the book is always challenging and surprising. I'm gonna tell you guys right now, there are things in the book of Jonah that we're not even gonna touch. Um, you know, I don't speak Hebrew yet. You know, one of the reasons I'm going to seminaries because I want to learn how to read uh, the original languages. Um, I want to be able to read uh, direct translation of the Bible, uh, you know, in its original language without a translation, I should say. Um, so we're going to try and stay away from things that you would need um, to know the languages from. There'll be a few things that we'll talk about here and there, but I really want you all to be able to, you know, go on this journey with us together into the book of Jonah and then leave us and really go into any uh, book of the Bible that's narrative and structure and just to feel right at home, to know what to do. Um, but what you'll find with something like the book of Jonah, uh, really in all of scripture, is that the more times you read it, there'll be these connections that you didn't even know were there. Uh, there's deeper, deeper things. It kind of just, it keeps going in a sense. Um, so it's a great thing to do together. And then when you go on your own, uh, hopefully uh, after our time here in the podcast um, and this, you know, this little mini class, whatever you want to call it that we're doing, you'll be able to do all that with yourself. So the first thing we want to do whenever we approach a biblical narrative it was, is we want to figure out, okay, where are we? Right. And this, this, again it lends very much to the the analogy that we've been going through of like going to explore the wilderness uh, going to explore a national park or you know being dropped off at a strange magical land and you're gonna get to go explore it uh, you know on your own or with a group uh, so the first thing you want to do is you want to figure out okay where are we in the story what's going on uh, and right here too right away this will put you ahead of like so many other 
Bible readers who like, you know, they're just picking out the verse. Uh, they're looking for that practical application. Just even asking a simple question like, okay, what's the context? What's going on here? Where are we in the story? Where we are in the story is actually a deeper question. And it's a very important question for Christians, especially to take a step back and think about, well, how are we going to figure that out? Because we have a slight problem. Okay, here's our Protestant Bibles, uh, broadly speaking. I know there's a lot of different denominations. I, I think I would broadly be considered Protestant, um, more from the Disciples of Christ, International Church of Christ tradition that I currently find myself in. Uh, but in our Bibles or the NIV, this is how you would find uh, that Bible arranged. You'd have what we would call the law or the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then you have your historical books, right? Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, both of the Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And then you would have what's called your wisdom books, which would be Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And then you have all your prophets. So you have your big ones like Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel and Daniel. And then you have your little ones, your Hosea. And that's kind of where we would find Jonah, kind of right in the middle of all of these um, smaller books of the prophets. They're only, some of them are like a page or two long. Some of them are more like 10 pages, but compared to the big ones like Isaiah, Jeremiah, that go on for chapters, 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 they're small, bite-sized. We kind of put them at the end and we end our Bibles with the book of Malachi, um, which, you know, kind of talks about the ending of, of prophecy, like God just is, isn't going to talk anymore. <clears throat> uh, but the Hebrew Bible, uh, in comparison, is structured quite different, okay? Uh, it's structured in what's called the Torah, the prophets, or the writing. Or, you know, you can get, you can call it Torah, Nevim, and Ketuvim. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. I kind of just stick with Torah, prophets, and writings, because that's what I'm comfortable with. And the Torah, again, this is, seems to be something that everyone agrees on, whether you're Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox, or Jewish, uh, the first five books are pretty much like no one really argues those. You have your Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But then you have what they would call the prophets, which you have the former prophets, which is Joshua, Samuel, Kings, right? And then the later prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. And then you'd have what they call the book of the 12, which would, would have traditionally been on a single scroll. And it's all these little books. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, and then we have our book that we're going to be talking about Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And then you would have the writings. So we have the Torah, prophets, and writings, and the writings would be Psalms, Proverbs, Job. This is some of the things that we would consider our wisdom literature in a Protestant Bible. Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Song of Solomon, Ruth, right? Where is it in the Protestant Bible? Okay, it comes kind of right after Judges, because in the story, chronologically, uh, Ruth kind of takes place after there, but here it's in the writings. Ruth, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, Esther, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, and that's, and they would put Chronicles 1 and 2 to kind of end off the whole thing. You know, obviously, in a Protestant Bible or a Catholic Bible, you would put that uh, really after First and Second Kings. You do First and Second Kings. Chronicles, a lot of common complaint. Uh, people have when they try and read the entire Bible in the, in the year is when they get the Chronicles, they're like, ah, I just read these stories. Why do I have to read different versions of the, the stories that I just learned about 
in uh, First and Second Kings. All right, so why is this important? So this is important because if you can imagine watching a story with the scenes out of order, it would change a lot of the meaning, right? I always use the common example, you know, I'm kind of a card carrying nerd. I don't know about you guys, but uh, one of the shows that I love that I'm still kind of mad that they only made one season about is called Firefly. And it's kind of like, it's like sci-fi meets like a Western like drama. It's sounds terrible, but actually is really, really good. Uh, but when they first showed um, this, it's a television series called Firefly. When they first aired it or showed it, um, for whatever reason, they aired the episodes out of order. So people were just, they were just very confused and people couldn't see that there was an actual story that the producers were really trying to show, right? Um, and so they got canceled after one season because nobody understood it. But it's since uh, had, now it has kind of a cult following because people, you know, love this series. They get so much out of it because when they release it to DVD, or now you can stream it, I think, somewhere, probably Amazon or Netflix. Not sure about Netflix. Um, you know, now it, you can see it in its proper order. It was released to DVD in its proper order. And, you know, it, it kind of gained a cult following because people could really understand the story. And once you can understand the story, uh, it was a great, great story. Um, they ended up making a movie to kind of tie everything up because the storyline was just so great and it had created such a fan base once they saw the story in the correct order. Now you have to ask yourself, does the Bible function the same way? Is it possible that the Bible was put in a particular order so that it could tell a single story? And Apparently, yes. Apparently, yeah. You can see it when you kind of lay out everything the way it was supposed to originally be ordered uh, in the Hebrew Bible. You can kind of see that there's some type of storyline that coming out of reading the Hebrew scriptures, you should kind of have this basic storyline in your head. So if you go to the Torah, and again, you have to remember that these things were once written on scrolls. Right, so you have to imagine, you know, you're not coming to a book, but I, well, at least a book where everything is together. You know, if you can think of these things as separate entities, separate books, separate scrolls, when you come to the end of one, right, then you'd be picking up another one and then you would be starting. And typically, even in the way we write books today, uh, you know, there, there's usually some type of introductory material in the beginnings and the ends of books. It just makes sense. And so the idea was that the redactor or the, or the editor of scripture, the person who brought all these books together into you know one thing, the Hebrew scriptures, um, when they did this, they added some additional editorial remarks, just so you, you know, just in case you weren't understanding why they brought everything together, um, you know, it, you can kind of read it right there. So the first one, I kind of have it up here in this diagram, is at the end of Deuteronomy. Right, so you can imagine you're ending out the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and then you get to, uh, you know, Deuteronomy. You've gone through the whole biblical drama that far, 
And then you get to Deuteronomy 34. And I'm going to be reading from uh, my JPS, which is my Jewish study Bible. And I highly recommend that everyone gets this and reads through it at least once. Um, I would recommend obviously more than once, um, but you know, I really think, you know, you should, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about reading the Bible. So go nuts, read it more than once. So in Deuteronomy 34, uh, beginning in verse 10, uh, you can kind of see, uh, whoever was putting all these things together, all these stories together, um, kind of closes out these books by saying, you know, never again did there arise in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord singled out face to face. So if you can imagine, you know, obviously here it's saying never again. So this is assuming that there's some time in the future where someone is writing this, looking back, being like, man, never again in Israel has a prophet like Moses arisen. Uh, Continuing on in verse 11, for the various signs and portents the Lord sent him to display in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his courtiers and his whole country, and for all the great might and awesome power that Moses displayed before all of Israel. So kind of like, you know, leaves you hanging, like saying never again in Israel did there arise a prophet like Moses, you know, so there's this anticipation of a prophet like Moses coming like this is what they're waiting for and it talks about how you know moses led the people um, with signs and wonders god performed a lot of great incredible things uh through moses so there's this idea here that it hasn't come yet right so this kind of gives us some clues about maybe when all this was brought together um not really going to go into it too much right now um you know, except to say it was probably during uh, the period of the exile, uh, right before they came back from Babylon, that all these things came together. So they're, they're looking back, you know, saying, man, you know, we never, we still haven't gotten um, someone like this. And then you turn the page. And then right after, you know, the closing of the Torah and the Hebrew scriptures comes uh, the prophets, right? And you get the former and the later prophets. And the first one of the later prophets is Joshua, right? And Joshua uh, is, you know, is a very important book. Uh, but we get to Joshua 1. So, you know, reading the story, if you can imagine reading the Bible for the first time, you know, and if you're a really careful reader, you might be like, oh, okay. Well, are we, are we talking about Joshua? Is Joshua the one who uh, we should be looking for. And, um, you know, so Joshua obviously is anointed by Moses to go and lead the people into the promised land. Um, so when you look into Joshua, I'm going to be going to Joshua 1. I'm going to be reading verses 1 to 9. And we're going to see here, is there any material that the editors of the scripture maybe left here for us to give us clues kind of telling us what this whole thing is about. So when you go ahead and you stitch together all of these stories from different authors written all in different times and different places, is there some common thread uh, of narrative that should be connecting everything? So let's read in Joshua 1. I'm going to go to, through verses 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, 
the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' attendant, my servant Moses is dead. Prepare to cross the Jordan together with all this people into the land that I'm giving to the Israelites. Every spot on which your foot treads, I give to you, as I promised Moses. Your territory shall extend from the wilderness and the Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates on the east, the whole Hittite country and up to the Mediterranean Sea on the west. No one shall be able to resist you as long as you live. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. So right away, you know, you could be getting excited here. Like, oh, is this, is this the prophet that they were talking about? The one to come after Moses. We know from reading on that absolutely not. Joshua is not that person. Joshua, you know, makes a lot of mistakes and, you know, messes up pretty big. Um, but then continuing in verse six, kind of trying to stay in the story here. He says, be strong and resolute. For you shall apportion to this people the land that I swore to their fathers to assign to them. But you must be very strong and resolute to observe faithfully all the teachings that my servant Moses enjoined upon you. Do not deviate it from the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Let not the book of the teaching cease from your lips, but recite it day and night so that you may observe faithfully all that is written in it. Only then will you prosper in your undertakings and only then will you be successful. I charge you, be strong and resolute. Do not be terrified or dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So again, there's this idea here about, you know, the prophet of the Lord, uh, you know, is going to meditate on the Torah day and night, it, you know, and that's going to cause them to prosper. This is God's kind of laying out the commands to Joshua, be careful to obey all these things. Um, so yeah, we, you know, basically to be God's prophet or to be God's anointed is to be a Bible nerd and to really get in there and read a lot of it, read it every day, recite it to yourself. So now we're going to go to the end of the prophet. So right here we had Deuteronomy, the last few sentences of Deuteronomy, the closing of the Torah, and the opening of the prophets. And now we're going to go over to Malachi, which ends the prophets. And we're going to see if there's any similarities here into kind of what we have just talked about. And if you're looking at my chart, you kind of like, <laughs> you kind of, you know, are cheating a little bit, but that's okay. So we're going to go to Malachi. I put it up there so you guys could follow along. All right. But for you just listening to this podcast, you have no idea where I'm going yet. You're like, what are we doing? All right. So Malachi 4. It's kind of cool, this idea of dual mediums. Like, you don't know. Like, are you listening to me in the headphones? Or while you know you're shoveling snow, we have a lot of snow here right now. Uh, or are you going to be sitting with a Bible and a notebook and watching this video? All right, so Malachi, Malachi 3, actually. Okay, Malachi 3, I have to change it on my notes. Uh, in verse 23, it says, Lo, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the coming of the awful fearful day of the Lord. He shall reconcile parents with children and children with their parents, 
so that when I come, I do not strike the whole land with utter destruction. Lo, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the coming of the awesome, fearful day of the Lord. <laughs> Interesting note, in case uh, you were confused by just what happened to me there. Um, I forgot that in the Christian Bible, Malachi has four chapters. And in the Hebrew Bible, Malachi has three chapters. It's the same content. They just break it up into three chapters where we break it up into four. So if you were following along in your NIV or, you know, another great translation, you would have been fine with Malachi 4, 4 to 6. Uh, so again, here we have this anticipation of another prophet. You see the bookmarks here, or the bookends between the closing of the Torah and the closing of the prophets. A prophet to come like Moses, a prophet to come like Elijah, right? The two great prophets of the story of the Hebrew scriptures. We have Moses, and then we have Elijah. Uh, so there seems to be some type, and this prophet who's going to come like Elijah is going to bring restoration, right? Because if he doesn't, when God returns, he's going to just destroy everything. So there needs to be some type of restoration that's going to take place before the fearful day of the Lord. So we have these two bookends of this anticipation of prophets who are going to come. So now let's go to the next section, which, you know, if you're in, if you're following along in the Hebrew Bible, you're fine with, you know, you're right now into the writings. And when you turn your page, when you end Malachi and you get into uh, the writings, the first book you come to is dun, 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 the Psalms. All right. And we're going to read through two Psalms very, very quickly. Um, Psalm one and two, they seem to be like introductory Psalms. Like these are the Psalms that kind of like kick everything off. Um, when a lot of people don't realize that uh, when they get to the Psalms, when they're reading through the Bible, let's say during a year, they kind of read them, uh, but they read very much like almost like little introductions to the entire book of Psalms. Psalm number one, it says, happy is the man who has not followed the counsel of the wicked or taken the path of sinners or joined the company of the insolent. Rather, the teachings of the Lord is his delight and he studies that teaching day and night. So here we can see it right in Psalm 1, right? Similar kind of verbiage, similar words between the opening of the prophets, God's command to Joshua, you know, meditate on the Torah day and night night. Here we have the same thing in Psalm 1. Uh, the teaching of the Lord is his delight, and he studies that teaching day and night, right? Let's keep reading. He's like a tree planted beside streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose foliage never fades, and whatever it produces thrives. Not so the wicked. Rather, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not survive judgment, nor will sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord cherishes the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked is doomed. And it goes right into Psalm 2. Why do nations assemble and people pl and peoples plot in vain? Do that again. It goes right into Psalm 2. Why do nations assemble 
and peoples plot vain things. Kings of the earth take their stand and regions intrigue together against the Lord and against his anointed. Let us break the cords of their yoke, shake off their ropes from us. He who is enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord mocks at them. Then he speaks to them in his anger, terrifying them in his rage. But I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Let me tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. I have fathered you this day. Ask me of it and I will make the nations your domain, your estate, the limits of the earth. You can smash them with an iron mace, shatter them like a potter's ware. So now, O oh kings, be prudent, accept discipline, you rulers of the earth, serve the Lord in awe, tremble with fright, pay homage in good faith, lest he be angered and your way be doomed. In the mere flash of his anger, unless your and your way be doomed in the mere flash of his anger happy are all who take refuge in him so you know here you know we opened up the prophets with god talking to joshua meditate on the torah day and night and then here we have psalms you know presumably written by david talking about meditating on the torah day and night and you will prosper so it's bookend here and it's it's done intentional. So if you can think of it like this diagram we have here, uh, the Torah ends, right? And then the prophets ends. And there's two similar thoughts right there about a prophet to come. And then when the prophets begin and the writings begin, there's also two similar thoughts there about meditating on God's word uh, from Joshua or rather to Joshua and then from David um, that's the secret to prospering is meditating on these words. So it starts to paint a picture. And this quote comes from Tim Mackey in one of the classes I took with him on the Bible Projects Classroom Initiative. By the time we leave the Hebrew scriptures, we are supposed to have in our minds, we need an anointed one who will go through death on behalf of everyone else. Okay, because everyone else's actions are creating a world of death. And then out the other side so that eternal life can be announced to the nations, right? So that's how we should be kind of leaving all of this. And in a sense, uh, for me, this made the words of Jesus make much more sense. Because Luke 24 was always something that really it made me like kind of sit up and pay attention to a little bit more uh, when I read it. Um, cause it just, it didn't seem to make any sense to me at the time with the way I had, with the ways that I had learned to read through, uh, the scriptures, you know, in Luke 24, I'll just read this to you guys, you know, it kind of had this up on the screen and he said to them, Oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all scripture. And I remember, you know, reading these words. Uh, this is also a quote here in Luke 24. But I remember reading um, these things. And I remember writing in my margins, uh, writing in the margin of my Bible, is this, is this even possible? Like how? <laughs> I just didn't get it at the time. Because when I went back and I read through um, the Hebrew scriptures, there didn't really seem to be much Jesus in there at all. Um, maybe if you picked out 
you know, some messianic prophecies, so-called messianic prophecies here and there, you're like, okay, this is talking about Jesus, that is talking about Jesus. But when you read them in context, it didn't really seem to be talking about Jesus at all. But then when I learned to read my Bible differently and see it as one big story, uh, even um, looking at where the beginning and ending of major sections in the Tanakh or the Hebrew, scripture, Hebrew scriptures, it became very, very clear to me that, yeah, all of the scriptures are about Jesus. Everything written is about Jesus. And, you know, it kind of like opened up some of that, whatever hermeneutic Jesus was working with, you know, I got, obviously didn't call it hermeneutic, but whatever, you know, lens he was looking at scriptures through that made him think everything he was reading about was about him. It made me realize that, you know what, there's a better way of reading the scriptures that I'm not cluing into. And one of them was kind of reading it in its proper order, which kind of helped me out a lot. You know, there is some type of intentional design going on here, you know, and it has to make you wonder if the shape of the Tanakh had purpose and it was trying to communicate something, is it possible that even internally, book to book, there's some type of purposeful structure or architecture here that's intended to lend a meaning to the text? So there's this idea that yes, it's possible. You can pick up any anywhere in scripture and you can read it and you can derive really whatever type of meaning you want out of those texts, out of those scriptures. But when you read, when you step back and you read the whole thing, is the whole thing trying to inform you what type of meaning you're supposed to get out of these texts? That's what I'm proposing here is that when we step back and we see the entire story of scripture, uh, that yes, scripture itself is trying to inform us what the rest of it means. Um, so there's this is an idea. I'm in a hermeneutics class right now. It's kind of one of the first classes you take in seminary. And uh, we're just getting to the section on biblical theology. And I am I'm loving it, loving it, guys, because it's all about reading that Bible that way. It's reading your Bible with the rest of the Bible in your mind as you go through it. So there's obviously some type of editorial design here that you need to kind of have the entire story of scripture. And we kind of just talked about a little bit we talked about a concept of, you know, meaning in between the seams or the seams of the scrolls when they were first written. The Bible assumes that you read like this. The Bible authors are assuming that you're carrying around the rest of the story of scripture in your head. And especially with something like the Hebrew Bible, it was kind of worked and reworked uh, over, over the years, you know, over a period of perhaps even a thousand years in the process of all these things being written and coming together, um, they're assuming that you know the whole thing. And, uh, you know, it can kind of leave people, I think, especially coming out of a more, uh, you know, Christian movement that I've come out of, it can leave a lot of people feeling very overwhelmed and uh, very, very depressed. And uh, I hear you, you know, when I first started uh, learning to read the Bible like this, it, it, it took a while and we're gonna, gonna be talking about some tips to kind of get us there as quickly as we can uh, soon. So this brings us now to the book of Jonah. So we're finally getting into the book of Jonah. Woohoo! So this is the assumption by the biblical authors that you are carrying around certain things as you read these stories that you're really, you're reading them knowing 
everything. And so that is kind of going to inform the meaning that you get out of these texts. Uh, it's very different than necessarily the way I was taught to use scripture. Um, you know, 20 years ago, when I first became uh, a Christian in tradition that I am in now, uh, we were we were kind of taught and we learned to read scripture more as, as um, I want to say prescriptive, but I don't know if that's the right term. Here's a problem and here's the scriptural solution. Um, you're dealing with this in your life. Here, here are some, you know, scriptures on, you know, being wise with your money. Here are some scriptures with, you know, dealing with lust. Here are some scriptures dealing with depression. Here are the promises of God that you can be sure of, that you can have hope in. Uh, here are the scriptures that are going to help you with whatever it is that you're facing. But there's a bigger story going on here. And the story really is the story of humanity, right? And the story itself will inform you what everything else means. It's almost impossible then to take the scriptures and kind of just cut them up and make them mean whatever I want them to mean. I mean, you can do it. People have done it. Uh, people are still doing it. Um, but it's not the way the Bible was intended to be used or to be interacted with. Up next, we're going to be diving into the book of Jonah, and we're only going to get through the first two sentences, and we're going to look for some of those textual clues that are going to kind of be cluing us in to what we should be paying attention to. So we just kind of went really, really broad, and we looked at, okay, what could the Bible be telling us about what the Bible is all about? Uh, now we're going to zoom in and we're going to be looking at the book of Jonah. We'll be looking at how the book of Jonah right away, right from its opening lines, is telling us uh, what we should be carrying in our heads, what stories we should be remembering as we go into uh, this new story or the story of the book of Jonah. All right. See you guys next time.